Well, good morning, everyone. You may be seated for just a moment. Well, today is a very special day here at All Saints Church that I've been looking forward to for quite some time. We are very honored and privileged to have both the Reverend Deacon Bob Reagan, who's a deacon here in our diocese, and also Miss Kyle Bowman with us. Um, Kyle is the Director of Regeneration Ministries in Northern Virginia in the D.C. metro area. And Bob is the Director Emeritus, but still working very much full-time with Regeneration Ministries. And they are here today to share about regeneration with us. How many of you in All Saints are familiar with Regeneration Ministries? Quite a few hands going up, yes. Um, And Regeneration has a very long history of working with folks um, from a biblical and Christian perspective with relational healing and wholeness. And um, we're very, Bob and Kyle were with us again first service and also with us during the Sunday school hour and did a wonderful time of Q&A as well. And so Bob and Kyle, um, I think you're coming one at a time, but please come and please give them a warm All Saints welcome. Well, it's a joy to, to be with you today and just thank you for this invitation. Um, before I start sharing about uh, some uh, deeper th- things on my heart today, I just want to just talk about regeneration first to begin with. Uh, regeneration was founded in 1979 by Alan Menninger up in Baltimore, and that's where our main office is located. Uh, Alan had, uh, was uh, uh, living a double lifestyle. He's married with two daughters, and, and he was also acting out homosexually, but the Lord met him. And... Uh, Eventually, he left his job to direct and found Meet Regeneration in 1979. Alan, I've heard Alan uh, say a long time, he's, uh, he was a cradle Episcopalian, that both he and Willa were, were uh, raised Episcopalian. And, uh, and, and we often had, uh, at the, the, uh, the Episcopal General Convention, we would have a regeneration booth there uh, for a while. In August of 1987, after living 11 years as a gay identified man, I, I rededicated my life to the Lord. And this time I said, Jesus, uh, I don't want you just to be savior of my life, but I want you to be Lord of my life in every aspect. And that includes my sexuality. And after I rededicated my life to the Lord in, that, uh, in August, in January of 1988, I found out about regeneration. And I went, met with Alan Menninger, and I attended my first regeneration meeting in February of 1988. And it was here in the Northern Virginia area. Uh, they had just started doing support groups in October of 88, of, or 87. And here I am coming in like four or five months later. In January, uh, so I, I was helping leading groups down here for about five years, and then I went full time with the ministry in January of 1993. Uh, at that point, we, our office was located in the ICM building, which was owned by Turo. And so across the street was this wonderful community. I was at that time attending Church of the Apostles under, the, uh, under uh, David and Margie Harper. David was the rector. And when, at, at Turo, Bishop Martin was, was the rector there at the time. And you know, for, for, for those first couple years, I mean, our focus was helping those with unwanted same-sex attractions, SSA as we call it. Um, but after about three years, I kept getting phone calls from, from other people. Um, people assume, well, if you're helping um, individuals struggling with sexual issues related to homosexuality, um, they'd assume we would help with other areas as well. And so I was getting calls from men and women who are struggling with addictions, with pornography addictions, with abuse, with emotional dependency, codependency, you know, a wide range of sexual and relational brokenness. And what the Lord showed me is that the work we were doing applied to everybody. 
you know, it, it was it was a message that everybody needed to hear. And, and so we expanded our outreach. And basically today, I'd say about 80% of the men and women we work with are not dealing with unwanted same-sex attractions. They're dealing with these other issues. And, you know, um, they're seeking help. And, and so what we do is we, we offer spiritual coaching. There's podcasts. We do seminars. We do speaking engagements like this. We offer programs. And, and in two weeks, we'll be starting our, our, our group called uh, Path Through the Wilderness, which is a program we, we offer that runs for about five or six months. And, it is, and uh, so there's still time to apply if anybody's interested. <laughs> but it's, but you know, it's, it's dealing with, the, with these deeper issues. It's... it's um, it's trying to, to meet people where they are. So many, so many who come into our ministry are, are just, um, they're struggling with false intimacy. There's a desire for true intimacy, but they're struggling with false intimacy. They're, they're looking with help in that area and, and with their desires. Um, you know, they've lost touch what God's divine design is and what his intent is for us with intimacy and desire. And, and so the, the core here of what we're working with is for men and women to regain relational wholeness with God and with one another, even themselves. And so what I'd like to do um, is, is talk to, for you to, uh, a moment on, on intimacy, because our culture is so confused when it comes to intimacy. And we have to get to the core. We have to get to the core. In Genesis 2.18, the Lord states this, it is not good for man to be alone. Now, isn't it interesting for, for God to note that about Adam? I, I'm, I'm assuming that Adam himself must have also been sensing something as well, right? And um, well, I, I asked many, okay, so what did God do after he indicated it was not good for Adam to be alone? And a lot of people say, well, he created Eve. And it's like, no, he didn't. He gave Adam a task. And the task he gave Adam was to, to name the animals and the birds. And it's my assumption that he, bought, he brought the, those animals and the birds to Adam as male and female. And, and I ask you, it, sensing that Adam was already sensing aloneness, what do you think he was feeling when he, when he saw those animals, birds coming male and female? Because remember, Adam was the only body person of all of creation. There was no other human being. So as he's seeing male and female, I, I thought, I wonder what his thoughts were like. You know, Augustine once wrote that our heart's desire is to see another and be seen by that other's loving look in return. There's something powerful that happens, and, and current brain studies have shown that when you see someone and they recognize you and look back at you, endorphins are being released. You're experiencing joy of being seen. Uh, and so, you know, Adam was, when the animals were looking at Adam, you know, what kind of, you know, they weren't giving Adam a knowing look back. But then he brought Eve to Adam. She was perfectly and uniquely suited for him and, 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 and he for her. And of course, we know Adam's first words were, this is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. He saw another human being for the first time. He saw, he not only saw a, a physical body, he saw somebody. He saw somebody. He saw another person who bore the image of God with humanity. 
Adam's unique solitude was gone forever. So true intimacy was happening in the garden. True intimacy between Adam and Eve and true intimacy between God and Adam and Eve. Right? You know, they were integrated together, completely connected. And with God, there was no separation. There was no veil, right? There was nothing interfering there, okay? And between Adam and Eve, you know, (laughs) the only mirror that existed was the reflection they could see in each other's eyes. They affirmed, they blessed, they, 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 they honored each other's personhood. You know, they weren't second-guessing themselves. Do I look okay? What does Adam think about me? What does Eve think about me? There was none of that going on, right? Because they were secure. And that security was derived from being secure in God. This intimate union that they had there. There was this atmosphere of true intimacy, of trust and reverence present. It was being expressed on this bigger picture. And you know, God is love, not, the, not just the concept of love. And for love to be genuine, what does it have to be? It has to be in relationship, right? That's why the Trinity is so important. Because in the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are giving love, receiving love, and extending love back. You know, uh, C.S. Lewis and Tim Keller call it a holy dance, Right? And, and, and we're invited into that dance through the cross of Jesus. But see, it's all relationship. I'll tell you, a very significant healing in my process was when what, my motivation that happened is that instead of fearing breaking God's law, being this perfect Christian man, because of love, it became I feared, break, I didn't want to break God's heart. Do I want to break, uh, fear breaking his law or do I, I grieve breaking his heart? Because love is the greater motivator. And it's all about intimacy. See, it also in the garden, agape and eros were joined together and God said it was good. Agape was expressed as a selfless, self-emptying kind of love. But I ask you, when we hear the word eros in our current culture, what do we think of right away? We think of sex. It's associated with the erotic. But Eros is so much bigger than that. Eros is passion. Eros is the love of life. Eros is the appreciation of beauty. So when you, when you just boil it down to just sex, you lose the bigger picture here. Um, likewise, when you hear the word intimacy in our culture, it's always associated with something sensual or sexual. But intimacy is so much bigger than that. What we're experiencing in this room right now is intimacy. When you, when, you, uh, when you have a meal with somebody, that's true intimacy. When you pray for one another, that's true intimacy. See, there, there's something bigger here that our culture has lost. So that, you know, the, the, um, in the garden, this oneness, this intimacy went far beyond sexual union, far beyond it. And you know what? You, we were created to be in the garden. We weren't supposed to be here. We were supposed to be in the garden. We are supposed to be experiencing that true intimacy. And see, that's what we hunger for. That's what we're looking for. Um, We are seeking true intimacy. And I like saying the word intimacy as into me see. Into me see. See, um, our desire for true intimacy was intricately woven into the tapestry of our being from the very beginning of the world. It's part of us. It's part of us. 
And God desires for us to experience this true intimacy through his life incarnate within us, right? It's that, that, that union with him. And that's, that deep, that's a deeper calling within us. That's the spiritual intent he has for us to be whole persons in relationships with him and with one another. Our deepest God-given desire is to know and be known by God and by one another. That's what drives us. So many of these men and women that come to us in the ministry, they're just hungering. They're, they're, they, they can't figure out what they're hungering for. Uh, there's this Spice Girls song, tell me what you want, what you really, really want. And it's like, we don't know what we want because we've been sidetracked by the world. We don't know. And, and, and so, you know, God's divine design for us, that what he's put in us, uh, uh, it's sacred. As Christians, everything in our life is sacred. It's no longer secular, it's sacred. You bring the fragrance in the life of Jesus and the life of Jesus no matter where you go. There's something about that. And, I, and I'll tell you, this, this is what's so important here is that Jesus desires a depth of intimacy with us like it is in the marriage bed. I mean, you're, you're going through the book of Ephesians and in Paul, I, I don't know if I've done chapter five yet. With the, with the, yeah, but Ephesians 5.32, you know, Paul equates this great mystery that the oneness that's there in that marriage bed is the oneness that God wants with us. That level of intimacy a complete knowing of one another. This is the cosmic ache that we carry. You know, there were profound consequences when Adam and Eve took of the tree of knowledge. And one of the consequences, uh, as Christopher West, a noted author and speaker said that when the fall happened, Eros and Agape got separated. And you know what was birthed? lust because that self-giving love now became a taking love and eros became more limited see lust lust creates shame in us it blocks us from entering into true relationship one of my favorite quotes from christopher west is this we live in a culture sated with sex but remain starved for love we live in a culture sated with sex but remain starved for love that breaks my heart. That's what so many of these men and women that seek us, they're, they're, they're trying to understand what is this all about. See, that legacy of Adam and Eve has been passed on down to us. We all have that inner ache which longs for that original true intimacy with God and with one another. We all have a deep inner a drive searching for true intimacy. I mean, I've come to, to see now after now almost 34 years in ministry that that. To me, the, the root of all of our sexual relational brokenness is our desire for true intimacy gone awry. We're going after that which is false when God says, Bob, don't settle for the, the, the finite. Go for the infinite. Don't settle for the immediate gratification. Wait for something that's going to fulfill you, truly satisfy you. We hunger for that oneness Adam and Eve had. And relationally, we seek to know and be known. But to experience this kind of level of wholeness in our lives, we have to understand desire and how do we redirect that. So Kyle's going to come up and, and share about uh, how desire impacts us and how we minister to those in the ministry. So as, as Bob said, we can't talk about 
intimacy without talking about desire. Galatians 5.13 says, You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. And so one of the themes um, from the book of Galatians, which this chapter, this verse comes from, is, is about freedom. And this verse talks about the fact that, you know, we just can't use our freedom as, as a means of just being able to sin. And so the question is then, how is it that we as believers can be enslaved by things like pornography, addiction, extramarital affairs, premarital, homosexual, and anonymous sex? The answer really is found in how we handle our desires. And so often for those who come to regeneration for help, they think that the issue is their unwanted sexual or relational behavior. But the truth is they don't really realize that they are actually driven by this legitimate desire that they have but they seek to take care of it and meet it in a, in a false way. So you heard Bob say that our deepest desire is to know and be known by God and other, others. And so I would offer this to you as a believer. Would you be willing to consider that the desires that rise up within you that don't align with God's plan and purpose are really a desire to be intimate with him. And it's really about experiencing true intimacy with him. If there's this desire to engage in viewing pornography or engage in sex with someone who is not your spouse or to have anonymous hookups, is really a longing for true intimacy. But because we live in a fallen world, the true nature of desire gets lost. And the enemy convinces us that we will feel better if we could just, you fill in the blank, right? Whatever it is for you, you fill in the blank. But there always comes a point at which we realize you go after this thing over and over and over again, and you still end up never satisfied. Because it doesn't, these things don't fulfill the longing for true intimacy. Intimacy. Song of Solomon, verse, uh, chapter 7, verse 10 says, I am my beloved's and his desire is for me. And so think about that for a moment. God has a desire for us and he wants Whatever desires that stir within us, he wants us to first take those and redirect toward him and engage with him first. Because that way, we're allowing him to come into whatever it is we're experiencing in the moment. So what does it look like to have our misaligned desires realigned and have them align with God's plans and purposes. So the first step would be to take away the notion that 
This is about following the rules because the rules don't change anything. And here's my best uh, example of that. And, and I'm hoping, and I'm pretty sure that most of you all will identify with this. Most of us, we know that there are going to be parts of the beltway where you're supposed to do 55. So if, if you need to say, ouch, go ahead, say, ouch, now, <laughs> right? But if you're in a hurry, you need to get somewhere, what happens? You're like, mm, I'm going to push 60, 65. I need to get to where I'm going, right? The law didn't help you to not have lead foot, <laughs> right? And then maybe later there will be a prayer service for those who need to be delivered from the lead foot. <laughs> but, that, but that's my best example of understanding, like, the rules just don't do it. There has to be heart engagement in that. Uh, Romans chapter 8, verse 3 says, For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. So that's something to think about. Rules are just not going to do it. The second thing is, think about how you respond to desire. Maybe when it comes up in you, you despise it, you get angry, and you just want to shut it off. Or maybe you just say, okay, you know what? I'm just going to indulge myself. But what if you thought about it this way? Would you consider engaging with God when that desire comes up? What might it be like if you could say, Lord, right now in this moment, I really do have a desire to view pornography or to have an anonymous hookup. But God, I, I want to take this desire and reorient it toward you. What might our lives be like if we could engage with God like that on a regular basis? What kind of change and transformation might take place in our hearts if we could do that regularly? Because here's the thing. It, God doesn't want us to just try to shut it down and close our eyes and just say, go away, go away, go away. That's not what God wants for us because he wants us first to acknowledge that what's happening in us is good. It might be pointed in the wrong direction, but the root of it is good. And so God wants, doesn't want that shut off. He'd rather for you to come into his presence and bring that to him because he has the power and the ability to realign your desires. He wants you to see your desires as a part of the human ex expression that brings him glory. Paul Tripp says, each pleasurable thing was perfectly created and designed to reflect and point to the greater glory of the one who created it. So that means that's true of desire. Whether you're married or single, male or female, your desire should ultimately point you back to God. So you might be thinking, okay, Kyle, can you tell me how that works? I'm glad you asked. So I want to just offer some practical steps on how to respond to desire when it arises and you feel like it's going to overtake you or you feel like you just don't have any other choice but to give in. The first is, 
as I stated just a few minutes ago, acknowledge what you are experiencing. Look, you're not hiding anything from God. He already knows what's in your heart. So go ahead and engage with him on that. He wants to be with you and meet you in that moment. And, you know, I don't say that as a magic bullet, right? I'm not saying that, hey, I do this and then everything is lovely. Because there are those moments that we suffer as Christians, right? But why not suffer with Jesus and have him walk with you in that? The next thing is to take inventory of what your day or week has been like. Have you had a stressful time at work? Uh, is life in general stressful? Maybe, you know, it's job. Are you, did you have a, 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 a fracture in a relationship? Did you experience some, some tra traumatic loss or a big loss like a job or you know, marriage is crumbling, or maybe you lost a loved one. Because these kinds of things will have an impact on how you respond to desire. You know, take an inventory of how you've been feeling or how you've been caring for yourself mentally, physically, emotionally. Because again, those are areas that once you become vulnerable, it's so much easier to give in to whatever desire it is that you've been battling with. The next, the last thing is to connect in community and find time to experience joy. When you experience unwanted sexual or relational behavior, you, you'll spend so much time trying to fix this thing, like I gotta fix this thing, I gotta fix this thing, that you, you feel like you can't go into community until you fix it. But think about changing that equation and think about being the fact that being in community can be very healing for you, right? When Jesus healed, he didn't take people away and heal them in a vacuum. He healed in the midst of community. And so it's important to, to be in community to help get your desires because when you do that, you're experiencing true intimacy, as Bob said earlier. And so the more you're in community, the more you get a taste of what true desire is like. And that other stuff is, is not, you just don't want it anymore. And also being in community will certainly help you to be less vulnerable to giving in to unhealthy desires. And don't forget to find those places of joy. You know, the things that you have in your heart are gifts that God has given to you to enjoy life and to also enjoy him in it. Joy is, is something that can be such good medicine for turning away from desires that don't align with God's will and purposes. So when you can find community and when you can experience joy, you have less opportunity or you'll have less chance of really indulging desire. And so I'd like to close with this. I'd like to close with this prayer um, just as a means of uh, just submitting ourselves to God, confessing to him the things that, um, that we can fall short in and, and the way that we want to have him come in 
to our hearts and just to be with us. So let's pray. O most kind, most loving Lord, whom I now desire to receive with devotion, you know the weakness and necessity which I suffer and what great evils and vices I am involved, how often I am depressed, tempted, defiled, and troubled. To you, I come for help. To you, I pray for comfort and relief. I speak to him who knows all things, to whom my whole inner life is manifest, and who alone can perfectly comfort and help me. You know what good things I am most in need of and how poor I am in virtue. Behold, I stand before you, poor and naked, asking your grace and imploring your mercy. Feed your hungry beggar. Inflame my coldness with the fire of your love. Enlighten my blindness with the brightness of your presence. Turn all earthly things to bitterness for me, all grievance and adversity to patience, all lowly creation to contempt and oblivion. Raise my heart to you in heaven and suffer me not to wander on the earth. From this moment to all eternity, do you alone grow sweet to me, for you alone are my food and drink, my love, my joy, my sweetness, and my total good. Let your presence wholly inflame me, consume and transform me into yourself, that I may become one spirit with you by the grace of inward union and by the melting power of your ardent love. Suffer me not to go from you fasting and thirsty, but deal with me mercifully as you so often and so wonderfully dealt with your saints. What wonder if I were completely inflamed by you to die to myself, since you are the fire ever burning and never dying, a love purifying the heart and enlightening the understanding in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.